Hey, food friends, and welcome to the Food Founders Podcast, your number one spot to get mentoring, guidance, and behind-the-scene learnings to help you understand what it really takes to launch, grow, and scale your packaged food or beverage business. On the show, you'll hear from food founders at various stages of growth, and you'll hear from me and my 14 years of packaged food and beverage experience. Each episode is packed with insights, inspiration, and learning to help you on your food business journey. I'm your host, Ainsley, and this is the Food Founders Podcast. jump into today's show, I want to thank our sponsor, the Food Brands That Sell program. Food Brands That Sell is a six-week deep dive into the CPG industry and teaches you how to win within that industry by creating a brand that you, retailers, and consumers love. Here's what a recent alumni had to say about the program. I am so grateful that I chose to do Food Brands That Sell. I learned so much about myself, my journey, and my company. These six weeks changed how I'm doing my business, and I can see the difference already. I no longer feel alone. If you aren't already on the waitlist, hop on over to foodbrandsthatsellwaitlist.com or grab the link below to make sure that you are first to know when the program is accepting new students. All right, let's dive into today's episode. All right, welcome to the Food Founders Podcast. Today, I am excited to have Prabal Chaudhry here from Brave Good Kind, who is shaking up the meat industry, the jerky industry. We're going to dive into it, the snack industry. Prabal, welcome to the Food Founders Podcast. No, thank you for having me, Ainsley, and I'm really excited to chat with you today. Probably for anyone who does not know Brave Good Kind, could you just open it up by letting us know what exactly the brand is all about and what are you serving up for everyone? Of course. So Brave Good Kind is all natural, gluten-free, tender chicken bites and bars. We we exist because we wanted to create a, a snack that is both delicious and healthy. If you really think about it, a lot of times snacks that are claimed to be healthy aren't delicious and the other way around we end up spending a lot of uh, our time snacking on products that are full of carbs and sugars so we really wanted to change that challenge that so we came up with this ideation of a high protein snack which is both delicious and healthy so these are all natural good for you snacks that keep you full and is made from premium products and uh, yeah so we are trying to disrupt the snacking category by moving people to make a choice which is delicious as well as healthy. And I think we launched two years back and we've suddenly seen a lot of success and we are currently distributed in more than 5,000 stores. So there's a lot of consumers who are resonating with that idea and it, it is made from real chicken. So it's like full of protein, all good stuff. And even kids, I have, a, I have small children and they love to eat this every day as well as the feedback that we get from a lot of parents around. Very excited for it to be in the market. I had the chance to try some for anyone who's watching the video of this is what it looks like here. You can also see on the video your wonderful background showing it as well. <laughs> and I know for myself, like I'm a meat eater. I am constantly looking to boost protein. And for this was like such an easy solution to have in my bag. 
so that when I'm out and about, I mean, if I want to have all natural, healthy jerky, it's what are you going to eat half a jerky bar? And then you've got an open thing of meat in your purse, like gross. Yeah. This You can seal <laughs> it up. It's really easy and it's high quality everything, which I think is really important. Can you talk a little bit about that in terms of when you were creating this? Actually, let's talk about this. So you wanted to revolutionize the snacking industry so that we could have something that is healthy, on the go, good for you. You could have gone in a whole lot of different directions for that. What made you go down this area of like tender chicken bites and tender meat bites, if you will? Yeah, that's a great question. We, our mission was to really create protein-led food solution and systems. And we wanted to do this in the context of how broken the current food systems are. I think it's just very interesting that how we find jerky to be our first line of product. So in the future, obviously, we want to go into different categories. But jerky was very interesting when we started looking at different categories because jerky in itself is a great product because it's full of protein, not a lot of other things going on. But at the same time, I suddenly saw that jerky comes with a very bad rep. When you think about jerky, you think about greasy convenience store, you think about truckers and construction workers in a gas station. So those were the images that a lot of people grew up with. There have been a little bit innovation happening in the jerky space. But what's really weird about this category is, and you can see it, that when you go to shop jerky, it's a very masculine category. There are darker shades of colors. You look at all the ads going on or all communication from these brands, and it's all about Sasquatch and Lumberjacks. And you can clearly understand from this is that it's really targeted to that male demographic. So I was like, why there's no, jerky is a great high protein snack. Why nobody's talking to women? What's going on there? And then you start looking at the category data, you will quickly see that top 15, 20 brands in the jerky is all beef. Yes, there are some turkey, there's one or two chicken and some other meats, exotic meat as well. But the entire category is built off beef. And that was funny to me because I grew up eating chicken. I don't eat beef. And I'm like, what about a lot of people who like chicken? And then when I put two and two together, I saw, wow, women like lean protein. Women love chicken. They know chicken. Nobody's talking to women. Nobody's making chicken. So... I created this hypothesis saying, what if there is a really premium chicken jerky that really focuses on women? So I started talking to women across the nation. I raised some money. We did some research and validation based on that hypothesis. And we said, we found out the number one barrier for women in terms of eating jerky is that they don't like how dehydrated the jerky is. You really need to have that carnivorous teeth to rip it. They don't want to be dinosaur. So it's not a great eating experience. And I spoke to a lot of women and they just nod their head. They said, we don't like the smell of beef jerky. We don't like how it tastes like. So I'm not having it. I'm more sophisticated than this. So what we did is we went back and we validated an unmet need that women had for a tenderly leaner protein-led snack that they wanted to have. And we created Brave Good Kind. And I think that was a genesis of we saw that there was something big. So to your question, why we entered jerky is because we found an unmet need. So it was a low-hanging fruit where we really wanted to get in. And we knew we started with a consumer. We made a product. We ran a lot of tests. And we really hit ground and found a lot of resonance with all the research we did where consumers just loved our product. 
and it delivered on the promise. It delivered on what we are trying to do in terms of really bust through the category barriers. So that's where our product came to be. And we've really tried to grow in the last few years. But that's just the first start. We absolutely intend to continue our approach of creating healthy plus delicious products, continue to focus on protein-led food solutions, but soon we will continue to move into different categories, right? We launched with the bites, which is in jerky. We have meat bars also, which are somewhere, some places tagged as jerky, some places they are combined in the bar category, but there's a lot of exciting innovation that we are working on that we are very excited, which will go into other categories. Jerky was the place where we really thought we can get in and find some success. And that's the path we are on. It makes total sense when you describe the business case there. You're like, jerky is a huge category. There is a missing gap in terms of chicken. There is a missing gap in terms of it appealing to women. It makes sense in hindsight. Were you at all along the way? Am I crazy here? Like, how has no one else ever thought to look at making jerky for women? Did that ever strike you or were you just goldmine? Like, this is brilliant. I always talk about like innovation <laughs> need to just be like the brand new. We've never heard of it. Oftentimes the best innovation can just come from those little tweaks. But yeah. I don't know. Were you like home run or were you like, am I crazy here? Yeah, no, I absolutely looked at it and I'm like, I can't be the Einstein to first think about, I need to create a jerky for women and all that stuff. But when I started looking at how the jerky is created mm. and you I st and you start talking to different co-packers, you understand the process is a very archaic process in a sense. There's not been a lot of innovation there. Basically, the idea is to make it shelf stable. You dehydrate the meat in a way where it becomes really hard and difficult to eat. I think what we were trying, we tried to do with our food scientists and partners was to create a jerky which was tender. To do that, we had to create a proprietary methodology in terms of varying and coordinating how much water activity happens. So we regulate the water activity while we ro slow roast our product, which is a very intensive process. So it's expensive process, it's intensive process. So I quickly discovered that it's not easy to make that. And that makes sense because a lot of people don't want to get into something which is a very difficult process. We figured out a way to do it optimally and efficiently. And that's why we were able to launch this. So was it something that, you know, was it difficult to get into it? Yes. But we figured out a way with our partners to really create something. And we got some tremendous partners and co-packers who really helped us create this product and it has been and that's why it's very different so when we go to our retailers and we go to consumers they quickly understand why it's different and that's why we always tell people to taste our product the moment they taste the product they say oh my god i've never had something like this because my biggest pitch line to them is have my jerky it will melt in your mouth your doctor will thank you and they all start laughing about it because they instantly get what i'm saying especially women and we launched it for women. We designed it for women. All our communication is towards women. We're trying to build a platform around women to fuel them, to support them as change makers. But last two years, I can't tell you how many times parents would write to us and say, my picky eaters just love your product. And we have no problems because it is pure protein that they're giving it and it's good for them. And I think that really warms our heart and our strategy has evolved a little bit that women still remains our core constituents who we want to focus on we've started to target parents and kids as well because we know this product is good for them and we have found a place where consumers are resonating with it 
the one thing I'll just add to your previous comment is that book jerky, if you really look about it, and when I looked at it, it's a big category, but it's smaller compared to other mainstay snack categories. What I mean by that, jerky, even if you include Slim Jim, is around 3 billion plus minus, whereas bar in itself is a $20 billion category. So the reason there's a huge difference is the jerky has for a long time has just appealed to very small segment of men for a long time. It's not bringing new users to the category. And that's where we are very different because we go to retailers, we go to all these big stores and we say, for the first time, we are bringing a very differentiated product, which is not targeting your traditional jerky buyers. You'll still keep them. But what we are promising is an experience and a product that's so differentiated that will bring new users to the category. And that's what's really resonating it. And it takes brands years and years when they're building from scratch. Within two years, our ability to scale to the likes of CVS and Walmart is just because we were ready, retail ready day one. We were clearly very clear about our target, very clear on what our point of differentiation is. And we brought that to life. And I think that really helped us grow really quickly as we've grown. Yeah, two years, 5,000 stores, you have some really big brands that you are, or big stores that you are listed in right now. Obviously, you had the pitch right. And it makes sense. You're literally saying, we're going to expand your category, like new money all over that. But also not, I would say not easy still for a lot of people. Talk to me about <laughs> how you were able to accelerate that 5,000 store listing, 5,000 doors within the last two years with a great product, with a great proposition. Yes, great differentiator. Absolutely, those help. But surely there are some other pieces as well going on. Oh, yeah. Don't take my excitement for lack of challenges and obstacles we have faced. It's, it's been fire. Your business is on fire in a good way that it's growing, <laughs> but it's fire everywhere because we have lot of different challenges and it's been hard frankly being in a startup is hard as you can imagine but building a startup during pandemic where we started to launching it when you know the world started to reconcile that yes there's a pandemic and they're coming out of it has been super hard like we have faced challenges front end and center we raised money raising capital was a big issue but i think one of the things that have really helped us is the belief in what we were doing Product was great, no doubt about it. There are a lot of great products that never see the end of, never, can never come to the market for whatever reason. We, What I tried to do in Brave Good Kind was really focus on fundamentals. Be very clear on why we are doing that. Communicate that you know, to all the stakeholders. Make sure every partner, every freelancer, every employee is tuned in and they're moving in one direction towards what we are trying to achieve. I think was absolutely important. Were there challenges? Yes. My my COGS, which is your cost of good, increased 30% when chicken prices went through the roof. But what helped was that when we were building our business plan, our PNL, we focused on making sure that we have margin not only to survive any kind of a curveballs that might happen because of the change in pricing of the ingredients, but we also know that there's a high cost in terms of really understanding what it takes to win at retail. There's slotting costs. There is a cost to support promotions. You have to do demos. You have distributor chargebacks. So there is a lot that goes into build a brand. And I think to all your listeners, I would always say is, if you're ever trying to start a company, 
the first question you have to ask yourself is are you do you want to be a startup or do you want to be a small business because both have very different way to look at things if you want to be a startup you need to make sure that your resources to scale you know that you'll be on a negative pnl for a while before it becomes a hockey stick there's a lot goes in to create a platform to really rise like a hockey stick if you're a small business your consideration becomes different because it's all about being cash flow positive so you know you can your risk level your decisions change and i think that's where you have to have clarity and i was really ambitious and i said hey we're launching it we want to be a 100 million dollar business in 5 to 8 years we are going all in and we pressing all the buttons and that was a go and i think that you also have to understand the risk around it and but again product having a great product is the starting point but what you do around execution becomes critically important just to exemplify with a, with an instance i will say when i was launching everybody including my investors said let's start with northeast be confined to your home base and then grow slowly and slowly which is like a typical growth path a lot of startups take and i was like i'm not having it in anyways i threw the old playbook out and i said i'm going national day one because i don't know where i can get into and it paid huge dividends because west just opened us for for the first time we still don't we are still building our distribution on the east coast but we are like 60% of our volume comes to the west and the southwest and if i had never gone there i would have never been able to break open so fast and the only reason i was able to do that i go back to the fundamental because i really understood my consumer i knew where my consumer is i knew women in california are very progressive they are very early adopters to if you introduce something new so it was very important for me to go there and i think we took some well calculated risk and we were able to not every strategy that i did was successful because there were times there i was successful great there were times i was not but i always give myself grace and ability to pivot just because my fundamentals were very clear you always build buffer in terms of pricing structures in terms of understanding what risk we can take where we want to go and i think that's every startup has to figure it out is they're not they just can't focus on the near term every startup at the growth stage or at a stage when they're about they just launched have to focus on what will i need to do to be viable in next 6 to 6 months to a year but also am i preparing myself to be relevant 2 years from now when the big orders come from these big retailers can i even deliver those orders and a lot of founders don't think that at that very moment they become prisoners of the moment but i think that's where having a clarity of who you will be one year two year five year down the line becomes really important because then you can start preparing towards making sure that you're equipped to be there and have the structures to support the business and thereby continue to the growth because it's it takes a lot of hard work to launch it takes a lot of hard work to land on shelf it's even harder to stay on the shelf and i think at every level <laughs> it's fire so you know if one word that i would want you'll hear me time and again that we are always on fire whether it's from a growth perspective or your pants on a fire because there are emergencies that we just don't know what to do about so don't take that excitement and that that's that smile that you see all is great all is never great you like my wife always gives me the example that you have to be like a duck where you seem everything is calm and you floating gracefully and but you're underneath you're just like 
running for your life. So you're just so paranoid because everything keeps breaking loose. So if anyone ever gets an email from you that says fire, they're not really sure until they open it. Is it good <laughs> news or is it exactly. bad news? We're not exactly. sure yet. <laughs> I, as an as a entrepreneur, if everything is going good, there's certain uneasiness around it because no, that can't be possible because you don't know life when something is, the shit is not, and pardon my language, shit is not hitting the ceiling. Like things just continuously are challenging and you need to continue to be on top of it fixing things. I always think about our job as a builder. The things just keep breaking down. You just keep fixing it and building it. Hopefully your rate of buildup is more than the rate of what falls down and you can really wreck the building that you're proud of. So that's what we try to do. It's a great way of looking at it. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I know all the entrepreneurs generally become philosophers at some point. Totally. Absolutely. <laughs> you have to. Otherwise you're just going to go crazy. You have to. <laughs> You have this level of conviction, and it seems like that's been a part of the entire Brave Good Kind journey. Do you think that is something that people are born with in terms of conviction with what they are doing? Do you think it's the right idea that needs to land on someone's lap, or do you think it's something that can be taught? Where, where's your thought on that? I think it just depends. I think, first of foremost, a person has to be really self-aware and really understand what their strengths and their blind spots are. Am I totally on, on it? Absolutely not. Like I'm not like, I would not say that I've figured it out completely, but I think your ability to have a short-term memory, your ability to be, stay true to who you really are, really understand what you really excel in. And then, you know, a lot of time, your life experience make you resilient, make you really resilient. So I grew up in a small town in India, and my ju ju life journey where I am right now has been with a lot of highs and lows. So that makes you a lot of lot resilient. I'm an immigrant who is trying to really build life from scratch, if you will. So that comes with a lot of risk taking and a lot of conviction that I need to have so that I can really pursue my dream of whatever that my dream might be. So I would say for any person to have a conviction and follow through their conviction, everybody has to understand what their life journey has been. And a lot of people believe in something, but then they don't do anything about it. So, they, so it, it, there's no straight answer to your question, if that makes sense. I would just say, based on your experience, based on what life has taught you how resilient you are, at some point in time, you really have to throw away the fear, which in a lot of society instills in you, because society instills in you what's the definition of success. Society tries to instill you in, hey, need to have stability, otherwise you're not successful. So it's how you look at life. And at some point in time, you say, what do I need? What do I have to lose if I don't pursue what I really believe in? Because then how are we different than like a lab rat who is just running in circles, doing the same thing over and over again? And at some point in time, it just depends when your realization is. Some people have this realization from the time they remember at 18 years old, 20 years old, they just take their own path. Some people, it just takes time. But at every moment, there is a realization that hits somebody and say, what is my life? What are my life objective? And what is a legacy I leave behind? 
and i think it happens at different pivotal points sometimes it happens when you know you're near you there's a death in the family right that's a pivotal point when you start asking those questions sometimes it happens when your kids are born so there are different timing but i truly believe everyone in their truest of heart have convictions what they decide to do about it when they decide to do about it is what varies for people again not a straight answer to your question that's what i believe in you can find different ways to get to your conviction being self of it starts with being self aware you need to understand who you are what you want to stand for what you want your legacy to be and you know it's determined by the experience life experience you have had absolutely i love that yeah it's it's really key for people to be aware of where they are at and know also there is no right time to get to that but i think it's important to listen to that inner calling when it strikes you uh, yeah Okay, I have another question about your your growth piece here, where there's obviously some great mindset pieces that have made this possible. We've had a great product. We have seen a gap in the market. We in the market, we worked our tail off to create a fantastic product that truly delivers on a gap that people have. If you were to say that there were if there was one piece from a marketing perspective that you guys have done that has helped get the word out to this audience of female consumers who are looking for upping their protein, a healthy alternative here. What has been the key marketing tactics that you have focused on to help get the product off the store shelf? Like you mentioned, that is a huge part of it, getting on the store shelf. We can we're with the right distributors, we have the right pricing, we're going to play the promo game, we've got all of that. Getting off the store shelf is an entirely different piece. What have you guys been doing for marketing that's really been working for you? Yeah, no, so I think it's a great question. Again, it starts from understanding your consumer. Where where is your consumer? Like, how do they consume the content? Where are they looking for things? Where are the areas they're raising their hand? Once you really understand, you really start understanding the where to play choices, if you will, like where you want to be in front of the consumer so that consumers can discover you, you can help consumers move from being considered to actually they buying your product and how can you make sure that they buy your product about over and over again? Because all iconic businesses are built on this ability where you find consumers who buy you over and over again, who desperately want you. And I think that's the pull that you want to see as a brand. Being a scrappy brand raised money, but still we didn't have millions of dollars to spend on traditional media where we can really drive some awareness. And awareness is really key, right? The more people know about you, the more people, more chance that they'll have to try your product and you can really impact number of users who, who are like at the top of the funnel because that's what the way you have to crack it before you can actually talk about retention and everything. Anybody who talks about retention to you at, at this stage I don't think it's a good idea because you really have to first grow the top of the funnel to make sure that more and more people can try a product because then only you can bring them down the funnel. For us, I think the first thing that we did was we spent a lot of time really understanding our brand platform, who we are. So again, my CPG background led me to really focus on really creating a brand. It was not just about excellent product. It's about who we wanted to be as a brand. What are we promising? What we stand for? And we clearly created a brand platform in terms of really saying what who we are, what is the reason to be before we even move 
understanding how we'll execute in market. So we spend a lot of time brand building, again, sticking to the fundamentals driven by consumer insights, understanding of who the consumer is. We tested every asset. So when we were in commercialization, which is pre-launch, we tested our packaging, we tested our ad videos, everything that we'd made, we'll go test with the consumers, come back, tweak it. So we had a higher confidence that it will go really well because we know consumers will resonate with it because we had validated those. So once we did that, I think one of the things that I have started figuring out is saying, okay, what are the places where we can get the most efficiency in terms of our spend? So here are some of the things that where we found that it really helped. We became really efficient on TikTok. So TikTok, we have a close community of nearly 18,000 people. TikTok was the one which where we started like really targeting our core demographic, which is 25 to 44. And we started to really talk to them. We tried to leverage some of the TikTok assets back into Instagram. So social was a part of it, which was like really from an engagement perspective and really trying to reach to folks who can become ultimately become a power user was really helpful. We really started from a retail perspective, retail awareness perspective or trade awareness perspective. It really did shows really efficiently, which is counterintuitive again, because trade shows are expensive. But I knew for us to get to more and more retailers and be consistent in terms of showing up will really help. And it paid off. We go to expos of the world. We go to fancy foods of the world. We have a booth and all we focus on, and this is like the primary strategy that we have because we know we have an excellent product is to really sample as much as possible. So we do a lot of sampling because I know once you try a product, there's a high propensity that you'll buy Brave Good Kind. So we have done a lot of sampling and sampling is one of our primary ways through which we reach out and build our awareness. So we use our trade shows. We just finished a five-day street activation in New York where we had 35,000 pouches distributed across five days. And we were at the near the Met Gala. We were near sneaking around near the Times Square. So we had like different places, high traffic places in New York. So the idea was, again, to get your name out, get people to try a product and see if we can create Halo in the stores nearby. And I think that's been one of our strategy that has really worked for us. And I think all in all, again, I keep talking about brand fundamentals because we were clear on what platform we are trying to build. We will choose creators based on shared values. You just not get an influencer. And I always laugh around this. Like we are, we work with creators. We don't work with influencers, if that makes sense. So we we chose influencers or we partner with any organization with the shared vision and values. And I think that really helps because you can really build up, you can borrow somebody's equity to really, for the consumers to understand who you are, what you stand for. Because today's consumer is very well versed. They can call bullshit easy out. Being authentic really helps. And I think sampling along with our social activation, our trade show activation has really helped us grow. And hopefully we can continue to be on that path where we are really building awareness efficiently and where we are really trying to get as many people as possible to try Brave Good Kind. That's our goal. I can tell you mentioned there that like you had some CPG background. It's so clear that you have CPG background because how you're activating this as a startup is so, it's so on point with everything. You've been incredibly meticulous around all of the different pieces 
and making sure that what you're putting out there is intentional and is going to resonate with your audience. And you really see the power of your brand and your audience. And that's really built in everything. It almost makes it easier for you in a way, right? Like you can very easily say what influencers aren't a good fit. Yeah, I think one of the things that we try to do is we do a lot of test and learns Mm -hmm. and we try different tactics. We have tried some of the in-store reactivations. We have tried some of the other loyalty-based activations, but we quickly get to a point where we know what not to do, what is not helping. So we we weed that out. What is working, we double down. So I think it's a combination. I think as a business, you really have to be focused on, you have to be agile. You need to make sure that you can quickly pivot because a lot of dynamics and customer markets changes. Even if you look at our activation in California versus our activation in New England versus our activation in Texas, there'll be certain nuances that will be different because although we're focusing on millennial women as our core target, a millennial women in New York is different than a millennial woman in the heart of Oklahoma. So you get the zest. So we have to be agile in terms of making sure that we're appealing to both the women because both the women's women we feel are somebody who will resonate with our product. That's a really great piece that you mentioned there, because I think a lot of people, when they think about my target audience is wellness focused women who are looking to get more protein, like that does look different in a lot of different places in terms of what does wellness in New York City look like compared to wellness in San Diego versus in Oklahoma. And that's a really key distinction that makes a lot of sense. I, I actually think a lot of brands overlook that. They assume the same wellness let's say looks the same everywhere correct was it your research that led you to recognize hey what wellness and high protein means in one location is very different than in a different location or how did you decide to make that because i'm sure it would have been more efficient yeah no 100%, 100%. Show up so, the same everywhere so it is common sense first of all which is very uncommon unfortunately but you can clearly you would understand like there are nuances of different places, even though if it's in the United States, the nuances are different. I think it, it was validated by our research as well. But I think, you know, it, it, I always think about this. When you're researching, when you're designing the product, when you're really thinking, putting your business plan, you think about your target and you think about commonalities in terms of doing some, because you can't create multiple brands. So you'll say, how is Brave Good Kind relevant to somebody in Oklahoma versus somebody in New York City, for example, right? So you try to find some shared values that you can appeal to. And that's where, you know, your brand becomes successful because you can scale that brand irrespective of a, for a certain place. When it comes to execution is when you start thinking about nuances, right? Like when, you, when I activate in New York versus how I approach a, for sampling a consumer in Oklahoma would be different my choice of my brand ambassador would be different. So I think those nuances hit more from an execution perspective. But at a broad level, I think our research really helped us really identify the shared values of what women are looking for. So when we started thinking about our brand platform, we were very clear about giving women a platform to voice what's important to them. Now, what's important to them from a content perspective or context perspective would be very different across different women living in different parts of the country, but they all wanted a platform where they can be unapologetically themselves. And I think that's the difference of how you 
try to approach a brand. And I think shared value, like for example, sustainability and the impact of climate change on food system is felt by everybody across the board. So we are we always talk to people saying, hey, you might love beef, but beef produces 90% more carbon greenhouse gases mm. than chicken. So chicken is leaner, chicken is environmentally more is an environmentally more conscious choice for consumers across the board. So that's how we approach talking to everybody, talking about sustainability, talking about values that are important to them. How can we fuel you to be change makers? The other thing that I've learned early on in my career has always been that brand is great and all founders fall in love with their brand, with their product. But at the end of the day, it's consumer who's the hero. So how is your brand helping your consumer to be the hero? If you can really relay that in a very simple terms, you've done a job well, you've done a good job. Because I think at the end of the day, we all fall in love and we talk about product like it's a walking Superman. But your actual hero is your consumer. And I think a lot of times people forget that. And we consciously at Bravewood kind try not to do that. We say, hey, our purpose is to fuel you as a woman to be a change maker. Mm-hmm. And that really changes and perspective of our con- potential consumers because they look at it and say, okay, this is refreshing. There's one brand who's talking about us as protagonists. Not, they're just not talking about all about themselves. And I think that's important to us. Yeah, absolutely. And that does really shine through with everything that you're doing. So clearly, clearly, I think the consumer really gets that for sure. Thank you. I've got one final question. You mentioned, so your role right now, you know, you have a team of people around you, you guys are growing rapidly, you're working on new products. For you as the founder right now, where is your time primarily spent? We're no longer in the like, ground up building phase. Where do you spend the majority of your time now that the business is like where it is? Obviously, you guys are growing in a bunch of areas as well. But where's your time spent? Uh, My time spent right with my team. I am a big believer of rolling up your sleeve and leading from the front. So I'll not ask my team members to do things that I will not do myself. We are still a very lean team. We have three full-time, three to four full-time folks. We work with an array of freelancers and agencies and all that. But I am right in the thick of it. Like I, we are at a, such a critical stage that we cannot afford to not have all hands on the deck because we are running like a thousand miles an hour. And to run an opera business as well as plan for future, make sure that we are continue to raise money. That's the three places where my time goes all the time because I'm setting the direction at the same time I'm all hands on deck. Certain times a big order comes in, I'm going in the warehouse building the pallets and building the display at the other immediately after that I'm a call with some of our R&D folks and we are talking about tasting the new iteration of the innovation that we are about to launch then I get into call with the claims people to make sure that we are working on a USDA submission at the same time I have an investor call and then I have to start net, keep on networking to make sure that you know we continue to build our awareness till last year I will go to farmers market and man the booth myself Wow. This year, I went to a local NPR station. They had a kid podcast festival. I stood there for two days distributing our products to make sure we can drive. It's always day one. That's what famously Jeff Bezos said. You know, in my world, it's always pre-launch. You're always hustling because, you know, that's the two reasons for it. One, you have no choice because it's all on de- on deck. There's so much to do. 
still we have to do ruthless prioritization. There's never an end to all the things that we can do. But second and more important to me, it was setting the right ex example for my team. When they see me working my heart out each and every day for what I really believe in, they, they cannot slack it. They cannot tell me and say, oh, there's a lot going on when they know that I'm really working at it. Now, more, all of my team work from home. It's not we ask them to work 80 hours a week, but there's a sense of accountability, sense of passion, and the inspiration that we try to provide where we know that we are doing this for a higher purpose. And that purpose is to really disrupt the snacking market and create that legacy that till what time we, we are on this journey together, when we look back, we're just proud of what we did and how we inspired and came together as a team. And I think that's very important. And you have to do that by leading by example. I think you are a great example, not only for your team, but for food founders of someone who is leading the charge with disrupting an industry, making the food industry better and doing the hard things and showing up day after day through the fires, the good fires and the bad fires. That's actually true. And I think the other thing I would say is just being excited every day, driven by a mission makes this journey worthwhile because you don't know where the destination is. It can be an exit. It can be falling down apart because 99% of the startups fail. But I think what keeps you going is getting excited with what we are doing with your life rather than just doing a mundane nine to five thing, which I never wanted to do. That just keeps me going. I'm excited because every day I get up, I have a purpose and I'm like, I'm moving towards it. And that brings a lot of joy and satisfaction because nobody can predict where the end point is. Just enjoying the journey becomes really important. And that's why every day highs and lows, things happen. You forget it. You live to fight another day. And that just that's why I talked about having a short memory really helps because you don't have time to think through and reflect. I'll do my reflect when I retire, which will never happen, but that's how it goes. <laughs> exactly. Keep doing all the great work. I'm excited to continue to watch you grow and just thank you for sharing your journey. I'm sure this has inspired other food founders and of course, let people know about Brave Good Kind. It's a fantastic product. It's in my bag today. No, absolutely. And for just for your listeners, if they go to a TikTok or Instagram, say, hey, we heard you on your podcast and they said, send us some samples. We'll send them free samples if they're willing to share the shipping address, especially for your listeners. But Ansley, thank you very much for being patient and asking such terrific questions. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing your story and look forward to watching you grow. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. That's it for this week, food friend. Thanks for tuning in. If the show helped you in any way, please go ahead and leave a rating or review of the show below. I also want to thank our sponsor one more time, the Food Brands That Sell program, the program to transform how you navigate the CPG industry and ultimately sets you up for success within it. Go ahead and get yourself on the waitlist using the link below, or you can put yourself on the waitlist at foodbrands.sellwaitlist.com. Catch you next time, food friend.